It's a delight to be able to preach to you guys today, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, speak from Ephesians, and so I believe the word that, the reading from Scripture that Mike had for us is straight from the Lord, because it coincides exactly with what I believe He's given to me today to be able to give to you guys, uh, because there's no mistakes, there's no, there's no luck or haphazardness in the kingdom, there's providence, there's sovereignty. And so I'm speaking to you in humility, and I can confess to you some of the things that I struggle with. Our faith is never in a vacuum. We experience things in life. And how the Lord speaks into these situations and and our personalities and our family histories and our cultural awarenesses and all these other kind of things, the Lord helps us and improves us and grows us that we would be faithful presence in those places to speak His truth. Okay, And so one of the things that I struggle with constantly, just to be vulnerable with you guys, is an insecurity to be able to do this right here. I'm an amazing introverted extrovert, which is a disaster. It's like a battle in my, in my body all the time. Like I want to say something, but I can't. And then when I do say something, it's like, I don't know if that was right. And so just before the Lord today, I said, Lord Jesus, I just stop right now and I remind myself of anointing, of revelation, of what you say about me, of the very same things that I'm going to speak on from the book of Ephesians that Paul tells the church. And so my hope and prayer for you guys today is this. Hear the word of God, what he says about you, but most importantly, the place you have in his kingdom because we can't be silent, especially in this age. Right? We have a voice and we have an opportunity to speak truth into the world that's broken and hurting. And the Lord has given us as his conduit the ability, the opportunity, and the commissioning to do so. So I'm going to speak with you about um, being seated with Christ. What is your position in him? But before we do that, let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for church. I love church. I love your body. I love your people. Thank you for the freedom and ability to come together and centered around your word and for your glory, Lord Jesus, to honor you and worship you and remember you. And then from you, Jesus, to go out from this place. So, Father, we say you are the central focus of everything we want. May you be glorified. May you be honored. As we look into your word, may we see you and as a result be transformed. And so, Lord, I pray in that same way, use me as your instrument. Use me, Lord, to speak truth. Use me as your mouthpiece that we together will be built up and edified and presented more mature before you as your church. We love you. We thank you. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, and we glorify you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. We praise the Lord. Sit down, please. I'm going to talk to you this morning about our position gained to us by grace in Christ. But first, I want to invite you to my home. You are welcome to come to my home and Adelini dinner and envision with me what this looks like. There's typical chaos as the kids are running around the house. As you enter the kitchen, there's things bubbling over because I forgot the noodles are going too much. The water's coming onto the stove. Everything is going haphazardly, and it's just a family dinner. We've made a precedent in our home to try as frequently and as possible as we can to sit around the table and have dinner together, to pray and thank the Lord for what he's done, and to talk to our children. If that's not a precedent in yours, there's no condemnation, but I highly suggest it because it's missing in our culture. Let the family be the family. Speak truth into them from the word of God. Raise them in a way that loves each other and loves what the Lord is doing. But that's a side note, right? As we go on, we get all the plates set. We put them at their placemats. We call the kids in from their chaotic games and adventures. As they come to the table, they sit down. We pray together. The kids pray. And then we begin eating. 
it lasts approximately 1.35 seconds until one child is up and in the bathroom, another child is back in the family room getting a toy, and the other child is under the table looking for something that they dropped. So then we reset. Children, get back in your chairs. Do not get out of your seat. We're eating dinner. Okay, we go. It's, it's going pretty smooth. We're hitting about a minute, minute and a half. They took a bite, one bite of their dinner that we slaved over, prepared for, and lovingly we prepared this for them and gave it to them. Minute and a half later, children, where are you? Another one's in the bathroom. I don't know how many times in one meal you can go to the bathroom. Another one's in the bathroom, one is in the family room, and another one's under the table looking for a different toy that they dropped. This is the typical meal at our house. We'll go through this five or six times, and then obviously we have to begin taking things away. All right, the rule is no toys at the table. And so what happens is, let me have your toys. We have to place them over here. Just sit, relax, eat, enjoy. This is meant to be a family time. Maybe that's true of you and your household. And if it's not, tell me your secrets because I'm dying over here. Um, I, love, I love it. It's meant to be like a great family time, and it's just up and down, up and down, up and down. So either way, we're, we're eating, and the, there's a constant commotion. There's a constant movement. There's a constant stirring amongst the kids, and then just reprimand after reprimand. And so I have to ask for forgiveness to the Lord. I've got to ask for forgiveness to my wife, to my children. My food is cold. What is going on here? Today, I want to speak with you about your position in Christ and the rest that it provides. Is my illustration reminiscent, maybe of not your dinner table, but of your life with Jesus? Where you can't truly just sit and rest. But you feel that you always have to be doing something. You always have to be achieving something. You always have to be acknowledging or, or admonishing or gaining something in order for you to know a peace or to know a rest. The constant up and downs of life with no rest is not where the Lord starts us in this book of Ephesians. It is not the gospel. If you can't rest, I'm going to challenge you this morning. I don't think you know the gospel. And I'll show you why in the book of Ephesians here from Paul. I'm going to start us this morning um, in Ephesians 1, 17 through 21. We're going to look at two little chunks of scripture. And then we're going to go through a nice little ride of looking at the rest that we have as we're seated with Christ. If you guys could please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, 17. If you don't have it, I'll have it on the screen for you. Here's Ephesians 1, 17. I'm actually going to start a little bit earlier. This book of Ephesians is just amazing. Um, and I feel bad taking a chunk out like this. In the Greek, this whole section I'm about to read is actually one amazing sentence. And so as, as I, you take things out of it, it's, we could go for weeks, we could go for years, we could go and just look at the depth of what's happening here. Ephesians is broken into kind of two sections. One is doctrinal. The first chapters, one through three, is looking basically at doctrine, who, who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and who we are in him. And then it goes to practicals. What does that look like lived out in life, in the church, in the union of the body being one, in those realities applied to us that we would see it in our daily lives? It's important to know that Paul's writing this letter while he's writing this to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding areas. Um, and it's about 30-ish years after Jesus has been crucified. All right, so the ministry's, his ministry's been established. Obviously, he's in prison at this point. There's been a lot that's transpired in these 30 years. The churches are growing. And so he's writing one letter basically to check in on them and say, how are you doing? Remind them of doctrinal principles and what does this look like lived out? It's important to know. It's also important to know, I think, that in the book of Ephesians, 
uh, this, in, in, in Ephesus, they're very intrigued by uh, m magic and the occult. And so when you read through this letter, Paul purposefully has put in here so much about what the role of the Holy Spirit is, who we are as seated in the heavenly places. So he has this contextualization kind of riddled, riddled throughout the letter of, of why he's mentioning kind of this magic, spiritual, animistic realm and how that is completed in Christ. So he's taking what they're intrigued on based upon the temple of Artemis and all these things that are happening in Ephesians, excuse me, in Ephesus, and he's speaking into that, showing the fulfillment of who Christ is and what he's done. That's pretty awesome. Uh, the, Paul is brilliant. He can contextualize or he can, he can put the gospel into truth in any person's circumstance that they can understand and glean from it. And Lord, help us to do the same thing. It's not just through my eyes that I see this text. We have to look at it and how it was written and what was the implications of it. And as we read, think about that. People in Ephesus were, th were thinking a lot about the occult-ish occult practices, um, magic, spiritual realm, those kind of things. And so when he mentions these things a lot, it's a beautiful way of showing it completed in Jesus and what he's done. Wow, that's totally off topic. But hey, this is um, something that I'm studying uh, so these things came back to me by God's grace, but also through something I'm preparing for, for work actually, um, in a book that, that used to be part of what we would mention a lot in our setting by a watchman knee called Sit, Walk, Stand. Yeah, if you've not read that book, I highly recommend it. It's just like a little pamphlet. It's pretty easy to read. It talks about your position in Christ, about your role in the community or, or world, and then how you stand against the enemy. Um, and so some of these are gleanings from there as well as my own musings. And so let's see what the Lord has. But this is Ephesians 1, 17. I'm going to start a little earlier so you get context in 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. See how he's already kind of speaking in a spiritual middle realm. It's not just straight physical. He's already going to a spirit of wisdom and revelation that acknowledges. So he's just a brilliant, he's a brilliant individual. The Lord has truly used him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Oh my God. That's one sentence. You've got to take your breath in the right moment or you'll miss the meaning because then you accidentally break. But this is an amazing truth. What I want to glean, because there's so much here, one thing I want you to glean is where is Jesus? He's seated. The author of the Hebrews also recalls these very same things when he says, He is seated at the right hand of God, the majesty on high, and after making purifications for our sins, he did what? He sat down. So it's an amazing reality for us when we just think about our king. He came and he did an amazing amount of work. 
He laid an amazing example for us. Jesus Christ not only taught and discipled, performed miracles, but he paid the ultimate sacrifice for us on our behalf. And after raising from the dead and establishing the church, what does he do? He sits down. Out of all the things you think a ruler and a king should do, commanding armies and troops doesn't seem like a position of, of being seated is the one. An amazing acknowledgement of his power and authority. He is a God truly at rest. No one will stand against him. You see, he's completed. He's broken the back of sin. And he will one day return again. Completing in all ramifications what that looks like. But this is an amazing reality. When we think about what this looks like, if if we go over to the storyline of Scripture, what is another example of when God rests? This isn't a trick question. Creation. Creation. Very good, right? He completed a lot of work in six days, and he rests in one. What happened on the sixth day of creation? You guys remember? He created who? Man. Declared that it was very good. I'm going to make some some shows here, some leaps. He creates man on the sixth, sixth day with the commandment right afterward for man to rest. Even after all that he's given and the dominion and the authority and that cultural mandate he gives us in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. The first thing he does to man is tell you to rest, which is an amazing reality for us. I'm going to show you guys here, and I'm going to, I'm going to just blast this out of the water because I can't stop. But I'm going to try to slow myself down. What I'm trying to show you is that the reality is Christ has done the work on our behalf. That as we know our position in Christ... We first have to rest. You cannot learn to walk unless you, unless you first sit. And that's what Paul is showing us in the book of Ephesians. Out of your seated position with Christ, you then bring that to the practicals of life. What does that look like? Walked out, lived out, the being. If I could take it into an educational concept here for those teachers, there's that domains of learning often are no be do. You know, all those kind of things. I'm going to focus on the being, who we are, that that transforms the doing, what we do in life, how we walk it out. If we can't understand who we are in Christ, the very same thing that Mike prayed today and read out of Ephesians 4, if we can't understand those things, it, it perverts, it affects, it twists, it still mars our doing because it's not done in Christ. And so I'm taking some of this doctrinal stuff, and we'll look at it now, but the beauty of this, again, is that, that the example that the Lord said is he worked, he accomplished, he did things, and he sat. All right? Um, so when we come to Ephesians, we see the place of the believer before walking and working and striving and having agendas and having Google calendars and doing all these things is actually we're invited. We're not commanded. We're invited by God's grace to sit and to rest. Read with me, please, Ephesians 2, verse 4. I, gotta, I have to do it. It's too good. I'm going to start higher in verse 1. Just go with me. I'm just going to read all of Ephesians by the end of this is over. But It says, And when you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You guys feeling good? Feeling real hopeful? You were enemies of God. And had no place in his kingdom. And Paul's very clear there. 
You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were an enemy of God. You were wrathful and vengeful before the Father. Verse 4, somebody yell it out. But God. God. He says it twice here, again in verse 13. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, because of his work, because of his compassion, because of what he did, because of his character. You're not mentioned here. I'm not mentioned here. I want to be. Really badly I want to be. But I'm not at all. Because of his mercy, his love, which he loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were nasty and putrid and defiled, and I had no place to even stand before him, he made us alive together with Christ. By the things that you did, you have been saved. What does the text say, friends? By grace, you have been saved. This is an invitation. You did nothing. Christ did the work. He came. He sacrificed himself. When he was done, he sat. The difference for you and I is... We, we are saved by Christ, by grace through faith, and we start with sitting. You hear the difference there? He accomplished, when is the typical time that you sit? Yesterday, yesterday I was tired. And, and this is first world problems. God is so kind to me, right? I got to get up and I got to go, go to the grocery store to get donuts for my son's baseball practice. Right? We have baseball practice with... Uh, preschoolers, pre-K, junior K, kindergarten. These kids are running everywhere, and it is beautiful. But it is tiring, right? It's, it's athletic child care. We're playing baseball but watching kids. Okay, then we have a donut party immediately to go. 30 minutes later, we'll do another baseball game to coach my other son. Uh, and so then you, you get all that done. you got to go home. we got to cut the grass. Then we go to the next baseball game. we got another baseball game that night because of all these rainouts. At the end of the day, I'm going to confess to you, my hips were hurting. I know I, you, don't have, you haven't felt it yet, and I understand that, but what I did feel didn't feel good. Okay? Hips were hurting. My feet were hurting. Things were, were, were paining me. Uh-huh. And so what did I want to do? I wanted to sit because I had put in a good day's work. I have the beautiful tan lines to show it. My feet are pasty white. And it looks like I still have a shirt on when I take my shirt off. I was outside doing the work, and so I sat down and was justified for sitting. We feel good about that, don't we? What does the text say, though? Receive and rest. Rest and receive. Receive and rest. Rest and receive. I'm going to show you there's this cyclical pattern that repeats of because of what Jesus Christ has done, you sit. Then from your sitting, you walk. You've got to understand who you are. You've got to understand what Christ is about, how he lives these things through you. You have to understand that you're an enemy of God and you are nasty and defiled. But God, because he is rich in mercy, because he is so kind and benevolent, because he loves, he reaches down into that putrid mess and pulls you out of it. You see, God does what you are not able to do for yourself. Imagine that you have a beloved dog. Let's call him Fluffy. Fluffy is beautiful. He's pure white. <clears throat> this dog's expensive. You brush his teeth. You give him treats. You love him. You kiss him like he's a child of yours. That's, and if you do that, that's really good on you, you know. 
That's weird to me, but you know what I'm saying? I'm just going to be honest for a second. But, you know, sometimes they're a member of the family, you know? So uh, the dog, though, finds its way outside. And, of course, what do dogs do? You can kiss them. You can brush their teeth. You can, you can pet them all you want. You can bathe them 14 times a day. They're going to go outside and roll and stuff. So fluffy, pure white coat, that would be, it's just people desire to wear that kind of stuff, which is also weird. But anyway, that he goes, rolls in the mud, rolls in some other stuff that doesn't smell as good as mud, all this kind. Of, then now that pure white dog is coming to the house, scratching the door or ringing the bell if you've taught it to do things like this, which is also good for you. Dogs we had were worthless. Growing up, it was bad. It was embarrassing. Uh, we were lucky if I had multiple times walking around the subdivision trying to find which yard they had done things in or which whatever. So comes the door. What, what is the response? What, you what is your response as you look down at that dog whom you love at the door? Go clean yourself. You turn the water on for it. You put the soap next to the hose. You say, clean yourself off and then come inside. That's disgusting. You smell awful. <laughs> my, my grandpa and my dad always used to say, you smell like a sewer. Uh, right? That it's, he's incapable of cleaning himself. So what does a good owner do? Well, and that truly is merciful and compassionate. They take Fluffy to the hose, and they bathe, and they wash, and they get, they get messy with the mess. Enters into the mess to be able to present Fluffy white and pure, to be able to be back in the home, to sit on your furniture, to eat your, your leftover dinners, right? The reality is the owner would do for Fluffy what Fluffy cannot do for himself. In the same way, I'm way ahead of myself. In the same way, what we have to do is rest because we're seated first in the work of Christ. We have no ability to save ourselves. And so this is an invitation from Jesus to say, sit with me. When you believe you're not my enemy, you're my son, you're my daughter. You're no longer pushed out. You're received in. I am doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And so the grace that comes through faith is that Jesus no longer sees you as an enemy. He no longer sees you as pushed out, but he sees you as a son and daughter, and he gives you an inheritance. Verse 7 of, of Ephesians 1 says that you're forgiven. And verse 13 says that you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. All these things take place in you, that as he brings you to his throne... You have a place in his kingdom. You receive an inheritance that was never yours to begin with. And the beauty of it is it required nothing of you. You didn't work to sit. You sat and able to work. And so if your Google calendars are telling you to do things, and you're a slave to your phone, you're a slave to work life, I understand vocation. Like I said before, our faith is never in a vacuum. But what I'm saying to you guys today is what are the rhythms of life? What are the habits that we can put inside of ourselves that recalibrate our thinking to remind ourselves that first we must sit in order to be effective in the world and advance the gospel for Jesus Christ? You have to remind yourself that you're seated, that you rest, you receive the things he's given to you. We have a pattern for these things and it's, it's truly amazing. We rest in Christ's work. That we are raised with Christ. Ephesians, I blew over it, but Ephesians 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him. Two actions that we had nothing to do with. First thing he does, when you were dead, that means you, in your sin you couldn't even approach God. First thing he does is he picked you up out of it. He raised you with him. This goes back to Paul's other letters like Romans 6. You've got to recognize you were dead in sin, and he raises you as he died, you died, and as he raised, you raise. The beauty of what we remind ourselves in the, the baptism, the ordinance of baptism. But all these things are truthful and, and necessary for us to remind ourselves of the things that, that God has accomplished on our behalf, that we would live them out in the world, all right? So he, he raised us, and then he seats us with him. Again, all actions based on who? God. Jesus accomplished this for us, not you and not me. It's a gift. It's by grace through faith. Awesome. Um, I, I flew through this. You can go to the next one, Roy. Keep going then, Roy. Sorry. I flew over all these already. If there is, so we only advance in the Christian life as we learn first to sit down. This is what Watchman Nee says in one of, his, one of his pages. But the reality of what I want you to get is it is so backwards for our culture. What we got to do is we got to hit the we got to hit our feet on the if, if my feet when I hit the floor don't have shoes on them I'm already behind. Somehow when I get my feet on the floor they just got to wrap over me because I got to go. I got to start responding to emails. I got to start doing these things. I gotta, I don't have time to shave today. I didn't give myself time for that. So I've got to get to where I don't shave anyway. <laughs> no, that's bad. But we're going, you gotta get you gotta get places and get things done. You automatically feel the pull and the pressure of things. What I'm saying to you first and foremost, what what is a rhythm we can put in place? Before reaching for whatever it is, fill in the blank, what's the first thing you reach for? Reach for the word. Before reaching for a phone, reach for the Bible. I don't care if it's one verse. You are reminding, instilling, putting in you truth, not death. Life, mercy, love, compassion, so that when I walk it out in life, I have something that I can actually walk with, walk into, rather than just the abyss, the black hole of the work life, the black hole of, of hardship and parenting, um, the beauties of grandparenting. <laughs> See, it shifts. I've heard. So I've heard. So these are all things Jesus has accomplished for us. As we move on here, my cycle that I'm going to show you guys is we first have to, you can go there. I made this up, and it's an awful-looking graphic. But You rest. That means you sit with Christ and receive what he's done. And then my third point is you refresh it or rewind it or recall it or renew it. Whatever R word you want to put there, that's my arrows. You see it? So you're going to rest. You're going to sit with Christ and receive what he imparts to you. And then you're, throughout the day, remind yourself of those things. Renew yourself in those things. Live in those things. It is cyclical. Our life with the Lord is not just a stagnant puddle. It's also not a straight linear line. It is dynamic. It's fluid. It's moving. When you encounter things you didn't know was going to happen that day and it, and it frustrates you or it offends you, rest, receive, renew. Re go back to who, where am I seated? What does the Lord call me to do in this workspace because it's frustrating and I don't get it? Why is my child doing this again and in, in the middle of Target of all places? That's so embarrassing. 
How, how am I supposed to correct my, my son when he's on the ground here in the middle of his elementary school? I got a status I got to uphold. You know what I'm saying? Apparently, I'm a pastor. People look at me different. Just rest, receive. Life in Christ is secure. This, a new word, I'll say, this, we're just describing justification. You being a, a declaration of who you are in Christ. And that is secure. It doesn't change. But here's the, here's the renewing of it, the going back, is your sanctification. As you go through life on these up and downs, this roller coaster, what does it look like for you to maintain who you are? The first things are first. You are seated with God, and out of that, you, you live it. All right, we're going to keep going because apparently I'm talking a lot. <clears throat> Sitting is an attitude of rest. All right? And as we go on from here, we got to learn to do this. When I uh, flo- fly on an airplane, I saw Top Gun Maverick. Pretty good. Pretty good movie. Got a rare date night out. Watched it. Good movie. Recommend it. Anyway, as I, I thought about fight, fighter pilots and, what, and whatnot and my own experience of fighting pilots, um, which doesn't happen, my experience on an airplane is, is sitting. How do I get from point A to point B? You have a pass and you board the plane and then you inactive. It is very inactive. You're not, it's very sedentary. You sit and you wait. And it carries you to a place and then you walk off. And you enjoy the benefits of what you were just on. We have to know our place and sit with Christ and know that we are carried in him. And he, out of that place, he brings us, delivers us, he enables us to walk it out in life where he puts us. I'm just saying you can get from point A to point B today very quickly. And all it requires is you to rest, to sit. In the same way, I believe your inactivity and resting can be very productive in your life because you're refocusing who you are and what Jesus Christ has done applied to you. And then from that inactivity, which I believe is immensely advanced, advances and helps us, you're resting in him, you're sitting in him, then you walk it out, which is very productive. All right, my, my second point. Number one was rest in Christ's work. Um, number two is rest in your position. <clears throat> Ephesians 2.8, this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. The beautiful part of what Paul has put here is, I am no better than you and you, know, you are no better than me in our salvation and justification because we didn't do anything. Jesus Christ did it. There's a point here that we are his workmanship. He has whittled me. He has carved me. He has taken all the nastiness off. He is shaping and molding continually into who he wants me to be. I'm not doing that. My role and responsibility is I want to be faithful. I desire to live it out. But he's the one that's shaping, molding, directing. And out, as a result of those things, we move it out in life. So that, that is beautiful because I, I don't have a one-up necessarily. Right? W- hear me, though. We have a responsibility to live this out in life. Let's not get this mixed up now because Paul says you're saved by grace through faith. James equally writes, show me your faith with your works. Right? After being saved by faith in what Christ has done, we have a responsibility to walk that out in life. If I'm rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it would make sense that my works, my fruit, shows that. It reveals that. That's the walking I'm getting to. So please don't, don't hear something I'm not trying to say. 
Just by sitting doesn't mean we don't do. Sitting is a reminding. It's, it's coming back to first truths and principles. That we would be faithful to live it out. Okay. So we need to rest in our position, though. I had the opportunity of playing a little bit of college baseball. Um, and that's nothing glorious. I'm just going to say that right now, other than the fact that I can say that. But second string catcher is a very, very, very important position. You know what I mean? So I, bought, I, I did a lot of bullpens, caught a lot of balls. Didn't play a whole lot. So while I was on the bench, bullpen, sideline, okay, it was a very cold game, actually snowing, playing baseball. We were in Tennessee and you know, traveling, and we had driven there, and every game we played was a doubleheader. So these are long days. And so, and, you know, I love it. I love being a part of the team. I love the game. It was fun for me to be in a community and to work hard and have something to work out towards still. So I got some playing time. That's great, whatever. But this is what happened. I was on the bench. And I'm, when, you're, when it's actually snowing in baseball, my, my, I was not in the game. My mind was not in the game. I was trying to like huddle in a corner. A couple guys had the propane little therm, uh, heaters on them. I was like, good for you guys. That's cool. It wasn't enough for the dugout. It wasn't, it was like three guys huddled around the thing. And so I was on the end of the bench just freezing. And he says, Adelina, you're up. It's like, coach, serious? I can't even, like, my fingers are numb. I think if, if I were to hit a ball, the bat would shatter. I don't even, like, this isn't safe for anybody. And so that's what went through my mind. It's like, I'll do my best. And I actually said that out loud, and I regret it to this day. Something I can't let go of. Because what kind of an attitude is that? I'm going to talk to you about that in a second. But I'll do my best, and I get up there, and I don't know. I can't remember what I did. I probably struck out because my attitude was so rotten. But I got up, and I, and I did it. Um, and getting your muscles warmed up again and trying to come from a bench to hit and to hit these kind of pitches and stuff like that is very difficult, especially when it's freezing outside. And so I went and did it. But one of the things that, that stuck with me from that experience was I had a position. I had a place on the team. I wore the jersey. I did all the practices. I put in all the work, if not more. I worked hard. And then it came my turn. And what did I do when I sat there? Me? Now? Snow? Serious? So I want to say when the Lord calls you, you don't necessarily know exactly what he's going to put you into, but he does call you. And when he, when he gives you this place that you're seated with him, he can put you anywhere he wants at any time. Our place is to know our position and be secure in that position and be ready from that position to do whatever he asks of us. Without saying, oh, I'll just do my best, whatever. Try to figure it out. I learned a hard lesson that day that I ask that you guys don't have to learn. Maybe you've learned it already, but that was, it was hard for me because I look back on it. It's like, for all that I worked and did, that's what I gave. And so for my faith and my walk with the Lord, for all that you've done for me, Jesus, may I not just mosey through this life, but may I know my security and rest in the position you've given to me to be able to do for you amazing exploits with whatever talents you've given me. And I not, may not be as good as this person or as eloquent as this person, but I'm going to give it what I got because that's what he's given to me. God places you in rest. You can't earn it and you can't achieve it. God says, I seat you with me by grace through faith. Now out of your seating, do. All right, because we are forgiven and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's no, there's no work in any of this. 
The beauty for us is even when we receive the Holy Spirit, this goes to one, I've got to read it because it's so amazing. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Hold up. 113. <laughs> I read 17. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise and glory of God. I love the Lord, and I love God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think oftentimes we try so hard to attain something from Him. And this verse, I just want you guys to know, there's, there's no working. There's just a receiving. Just sit. He says, He has given to us the guarantee of our salvation, the promised Holy Spirit. And this is a result of his work. In him you also, when you heard the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This sealing doesn't come from you tarrying and laboring. It comes from you resting. It comes from the work that Jesus Christ has done as he totally transforms a hard heart to know the joy of living with a king. To know the beauty of sitting in his presence. To know from that place of sitting, I'm going to go and do likewise. And he's with me because he's sealed me with himself and with his Holy Spirit. Lord, you're so good to us. Rest in your position. The last thing I have for you is this. Rest in utter dependence of the work of Jesus Christ. Rest in the utter dependence of the work of Jesus. He's the one that seals you. He's the one that redeems you. He's the one that forgives you. He's the one that's done all these things. Rest in utter dependence for the holistic transformation of your life. This isn't just for a Sunday morning. This is for a Monday afternoon when you're tired. This is for a midweek Wednesday when you're wondering if you're going to get through it. This is for a Friday evening when you want to make choices that you think will relax you, but really don't. The reality is that this is a holistic transformation to see my rest comes from the Lord. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances, that he may create, create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. This rest that we have comes from the accomplished and applied work of Jesus Christ to you who receives it. You can rest because you have his peace, and he's done it for you. Rest in the utter dependence of Jesus and his work applied to your life. Our dependence on Jesus and sitting allows us to know faithfulness, faithfulness in our walking. One of the most beautiful memories I have of my kids growing up is, is them learning to walk. I think it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, they, they fumble all over themselves, but the joy just of standing, we have many pictures of our kids standing and they just have their arms above their heads. It looks like they're victorious. Really, that's just like the balance. You know what I mean? And so it's the beauty of just seeing them take their first steps and see that they can do it. But before they get there, what do they need? What are they reliant upon? For me, it was my, my two-pointers. Their little tiny hands came around this. They stick it here, and they just grab on real tight. And then they just wobble and walk. And you just kind of straddle behind, right? And they're learning. The father's directing and guiding into my son or my daughter's learning to apply this to life. 
We have to be confident that the Father's grip of us is way stronger than my little grip of his index fingers. And so his, our utter dependence upon him is not just to learn like a child to walk it out, but it's to know he's not going to leave us or forsake us. He has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. He has made us new in him. He gave us a position next to him, an inheritance in him. We're seated, and out of that, we function in life. My sister-in-law loves to skydive. She's got hours of thousands and thousands. She's an instructor now. She skydives all over the country, all over the world, actually. She's gone to different countries and done it. Um, and it, it is wild. So one thing, I, I didn't have this conversation, but imagine I had this conversation with her. Her name is Suzette. She's wonderful. I said, Suzette, skydiving, huh? When you jump out of the plane, do you like have to flap your hands like a lot like this because it kind of takes down the drag a little bit and slows you for the parachute to happen? Or if you like run real fast in the air, does it kind of take away some of that momentum of you falling to prepare for the parachute? Those are absurd statements, are they not? If I jump out of a plane, where am I going? There's one direction. Okay? And so your full reliance and utter dependence is on nothing that you can do. If I flap my hands like a bird, I will not fly. If I extend them and try to soar, I will not be an eagle. If I try to run very, very fast, I won't hit the ground running. I would just hit the ground. The parachute is the only thing that stops me. I have an utter dependence that that parachute will carry me. And if it doesn't, that is not good. Y'all get this idea? Your utter dependence, just like a parachute, has to be in Christ. There's not a backup plan. You're either in him or you're not in him. You're either seated with him or you're not. You're an enemy. And so as you acknowledge and remind yourself of what it means to rest, to sit, to be in Christ, the reality for our life is that we are utterly dependent in every moment of our day on who he is and what he's done and what that means for the way we live our lives. All statements about our position in Christ are past tense. If you, if you look at this, it says that you are seated with Christ. Right? Um, he raised us with him and seated us with him. All these things have already happened as we believe. There's no making them again. You don't have to be reseated. You aren't re-raised. He's done it as you believe. Receive it and walk in it. Right? We, we walk in the fact that Jesus Christ has done it all. And so that our doing isn't to save ourselves. It's a faithfulness in living it out because we want to. Christ has done it so we don't have to. That's the beauty of our salvation in him, of our resting in him, of our sitting with him. God's done is bigger than your due. The but gods in this text are truly amazing. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his love, he saved us. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you're going through something in life, remember the but gods. It doesn't leave you. Be utterly dependent on his work and know that he's doing a great work in you. I started by asking, where is Jesus? And we said he's seated on the throne. I'm going to end by asking, where are you? Where are you, church family? The obvious answer is I'm seated. I have a place next to my king. I have an inheritance that's guaranteed. 
And I truly hope that you will receive today and hear that. That's not just something that falls upon deaf ears. Please, Lord, open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to receive this doctrinal prince, these, these, these foundational truths to life that would be faithful to walking it out for you. But you have to recognize that you are seated. If you can't answer that question today, please come talk to me. Or if you don't know what that means, and I'm talking about resting, please come talk to me. I have time for you. That's why the Lord places us here. Because these, these are such amazing reminders to go through life and try to do it yourself is, is death. That's what Paul described to us here. You're dead in your trespasses. But to know that you're seated in Christ is life, is mercy, is love, is hope, is victory, is joy. It's, it's all the ramifications of what Jesus wants with you that you're alive in him and have the ability to walk it out in truth and in love. So please sit down. You are seated with Christ. Know your place and your position that you are rest in Christ's work, that you rest in his position, and that you rest in dependence every day and every minute of his work applied to your life. What is the Christian secret of where we derive our strength? It is in the resting with Christ, the sitting, the being with, that what would flow out is the doing. The secret of our strength is actually the stopping and the knowing of our position in him. We I want for you guys, as I'm thinking through these things, I'm thinking, what do I do with this? Maybe there's something you can do, one thing that you can do that adjusts your week to shift, to, to bring rhythms or patterns or habits, what I like to call, into your life. Whether or not we create habits in everything we do. Probably the same, you do the same thing every morning when you wake up. Um, if I don't, I, I can time the way I wake up based upon the things I need to do in the morning. I have a sleep-in time if I can be quick in a shower not to shave, or I have a shave time if I got to get to work. You see, those are habits. Those are rhythms. What are ways that you can put these practices into your life? Because you do it innately. So I'm saying stop and think about what are the habits and rhythms that you have on a daily basis? And where can you insert life into those? Because you're already doing them. But are they coming from a place of you being seated or from a place of you trying to achieve? Because oftentimes, and I've had a lot of conversations lately with fellow believers that love Jesus and mix this up still. They, are, they, have, they acknowledge that they're seated with Christ, but they're saving themselves by the things that they do rather than the things Christ has done. Their salvation is coming from their works. I need to do these things because it makes me feel better that I'm acknowledged by God. I'm saying to you, you're acknowledged by God because of what Christ has done. As a result of what he's done, then you do. Right? And so what are habits and rhythms you can put in your life? Here's one I'll give to you. Reach for the word of God before you reach for your phone in the morning. Like I said, it can be three verses. It can be one psalm. Friends, it takes three minutes. Maybe that's a rhythm. You set your alarm three minutes earlier because you need to adjust for the three-minute psalm reading before you begin your day. Right? You see what I'm saying? A rhythm. Paste some uh, scriptures or prayers or passages or names of people on your mirror that as you get ready, you're not just looking at yourself. You're thinking about others. You're thinking about the Lord. You're putting Him first. Rhythms. What can we begin to put into our life? 
that create and remind us of these things, that the Lord would be glorified first and foremost, and we're living out of being seated with Christ, knowing that as we go from that position, then we walk it out wherever he places us. The doing comes from our being united with Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're so grateful that you are king. And we're so grateful, Jesus Christ, that you have accomplished the work of salvation. That you, that you came and that you, in your perfection and in your beauty and your faithfulness, in your faithfulness to the Father, you took the wrath of God on our behalf that we might know what it is to truly know by grace through faith what it is to be seated with you and not experience that. We're so grateful this morning, Jesus Christ, for your faithfulness and your sacrifice that you died on our behalf and rose from the dead and you are seated, ruling and reigning. So, Father, as we believe, we receive for ourselves this word. We are seated with you. And out of that position, Father, may we view the world. May we view our family, our marriages, our vocations, our relationships. And may we be faithfully live it out for you in every realm and facet that you put us in. We love you and we thank you, Jesus, in your holy name. Bless this church family. Amen. Church family, rest and receive and repeat. Go in the grace of the Lord knowing that you are seated with Christ. Have a great week.